This is the Epilog Audio Experience. Quick disclaimer for a podcast, the SOS show, points discussed in this podcast should not be relied upon as conclusive medical advice in any case. The host shall not be a substitute for proper medical professional. You must seek professional help in case of any requirement. Thank you. 120th episode of our podcast, the SOS show with me, Suchita, has Dr. Neja Birla, founder and chairperson of Aditya Birla Education Trust and Mental Health Initiative, Empower. Dig into the episode to find out why we all need to be mental health literates, increase compassion and thereby increase wellness and well-being in the world. Hi, Dr. Nija. Welcome to our podcast, The SOS Show. It's so lovely to have you. What a pleasure and what an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Suchita. It's wonderful to be here. Wonderful to have you, ma'am. And uh, just to start off the conversation, Empower Mind has been doing so much of work when it comes to mental health space. With our understanding of mental health space, and I have been in the ecosystem for the last 10 plus years, uh, because of personal reasons, I've understood one thing about the mental health ecosystem and people in general, and that too amongst the educated and the elite, if I may say, uh, or if I may call, uh, is that mental health for people means mental illness. And they are very quick to other it and mm. say, this is not our problem, you know, this is my, my neighbor's problem. And I'm sure you have encountered the same with your work in mental health space in terms of stigma and indifference towards it. What are your thoughts? No, absolutely. In fact, that is one of our biggest challenges. Right from the year we started, uh, even till now, our biggest challenge is to combat the stigma. So there are two kinds, right? There is sometimes where you have a lot of people who actually don't understand what is mental illness. They don't understand the symptoms. They very often ask that, but how do we know we have a mental illness? So there are people who are not even aware of what it could be, or what the symptom could be, uh, what is it that you feel when you have a mental illness? They don't know that because like say when you have physical pain, you know that if the minute, you, like say fever is an indicator, right? So you know if you have fever, you know you have to go to the doctor, for example. Or if you have pain, pain is an indicator. You know you have pain and you need to do something about it. Unfortunately, with mental illness and since you know, you've also been, uh, you know, you've sort of been in that, uh, you, we know, you know that there is no indicator as such, right? It could be a simple thing like not being able to get out of bed yeah. for days to come or just, you know, feeling that extra bit of fatigue, which very often you just think it's a normal thing, but then, you know, when you go to deep dive. So there are a lot of people who don't even understand what it is or what the symptoms are. Um, and then you have a huge lot of people, a huge core of people who actually know what it is, but the stigma is so deep, is so ingrained that they still don't want to acknowledge it, you know? Um, yes. They don't want to acknowledge it because they think it's a personal failing. In fact, just yesterday, I was talking to somebody and uh, I asked him that, how's your daughter? And he said, you know, pata nahi, uh, Mm. That was the first thing he said. So I said, no, but that's not true. It's nothing to do with your upbringing. It's not a personal failing. It's something that, you know, it's like an illness. So therefore, I think that kind of 
uh, stops people from acknowledging it because they think it's a personal failing. They think there's something that they have done wrong. Yes. And I think all of us feel that, right? I mean, all yes. of us, the first thing that comes to our mind is that, is there something I have not done right? Yeah. Um, so that is what stops people. Of course, the stigma, because then, you know, of the, what are the other people going to say? Yeah. Uh, therefore, you don't want to acknowledge it yourself. And then you don't want to seek help for it. So I think we face that at every step of the way. Yeah. At every step of the way, that stigma, that challenge is just so much. Yeah. That to break through that in itself is... Uh, you know, difficult. Yeah, it's it's a huge ingrained in the DNA sort of a challenge. And I'm so sort of grateful that so many people are working towards doing this and hopefully it can be achieved in the next five, six, seven or 10 years. Coming to the very recent debate, Dr. Neja was uh, about what uh, Narayan Murthy said. And we're talking about the work hours and how that affects our mental health and well-being. And he said, and because he being such a successful person, said that 70 hours plus week is something that's very important for everyone uh, to function and to optimize their own selves, for the country to be achieving a certain kind of economic uh, independence and power. And it's also been sort of presumed that, and the culture that says that in order to achieve greatness, and it's ingrained in all of us, in order to be number one, in order to compete at the global stage, you need to put in those hours of work. And this has been seconded by people that we look up to, the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos of the world. India already is at the current stage one of the highest uh, you know, working hours is 47.7 hours a week, which is more than US, UK, Germany. What are your thoughts when it comes to working hours and mental health? And is this something that we seriously need to debate on? So, you know, I honestly feel that nothing needs to be in such extremes, yeah. right? Yeah. Then also the number of hours that you're clocking, I think the important measure is what are you achieving in the number of hours that you're putting in? If you're going to put in 70 hours of work, but you're going to work inefficiently, ineffectively, yeah then it's of no use. You can then be putting in 100 hours of work also. Right? Yes. But even if you put in 10 hours of work and you're working effectively and efficiently and you're still reaching your targets and goals, then, you know, then that's fine. So I would imagine that, I guess what he probably meant is that it's important to work efficiently. It's important to work smart. It's important to work effectively because we need to meet our targets and our goals. See, I'm also a very ambitious person. And I do believe that stepping out of your comfort zone is very important. Yeah. But I also believe in overall well-being, right? Which is then a factor of your work. And I do I view work as something that I'm passionate about. So it's a part of your DNA, right? So yes. what you work, what you do, uh, how are you then? And also there are other facets to it, whether there's spirituality, there's exercise, there's fitness. You know, for me, being out in nature, travel, all of that is a is a part of a sense of that gives you a sense of well-being and work is definitely a part of it obviously you have to put in more number of hours in work in order to achieve your goals but you don't have to beat yourself you don't have to you know you don't have to beat yourself to achieving it you can there are better ways to do it there are smarter ways of doing it yeah i could be putting in 10 hours of work and and still feel exhausted because of the way i'm working you know it's just I'm just not working effectively. So I may put in fewer hours, but still be stressed, still be exhausted. 
and I could be putting more number of hours because I enjoy doing my work and that's what I want to do hmm. and still feel upbe- and, and still not feel exhausted. Yeah. So I think number of hours is, is a way of saying that you've got to put in X number of hours to do your work, to reach your targets. But uh, I think what you're putting in the quality of work is more important than the quantity of the work. So, yeah. you know, as long as you're able to sort of meet your targets, and, uh, you know, you're able to do that. And what are the best ways to optimize your output is what we need to look at. And therefore, mm. well-being becomes very important because I think overall well-being definitely optimizes output. Mm. Mm. Um, so, for example, over here, we are really focusing a lot on well-being. So, like I said, I am very ambitious. I want and I'm ambitious in the sense that I want to reach out to as many people as we can. Yeah. So our targets that empower are, are high. We want to impact as many people. So Obviously, you have to put in that number of hours. But like I said, well-being, very important. We also have a lot of Friday engagement activities here. You'll have, if you come on a Friday, you'll see there's music on. Very often, I'm on a Zoom call and I can hear the music loud. And I'm saying that, is there a party going on? (laughs) Uh, They'll have like Zumba classes. They'll have mindfulness. Uh, So we have like Fridays is is like a a good way to end the week. Uh, I've made it mandatory for everybody to go on a trek once a year. So, you know. All of that, I think well-being is just an overall uh, concept and I think it's very important to focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tell me, Dr. Nija, in terms of the corporate sector's understanding of mental health, you've put all this because you have a certain understanding when it comes to mental health space, but corporates are very strict when it comes to getting the output from their employees. And this has been one of the reasons that we have seen mass resignations in the last uh, couple of years. There's also this impatience to reach to the top. And um, then in the past couple of years, including the pandemic, we saw a lot of incidents like the girl who was found lying dead near uh, her uh, desk. She was working all night in the advertising firm and also in um, in the Japanese broad- public broadcasting. I would not like to take the name, but this has sort of sparked, uh, you know, this uh, debate that, again, how should corporate understand mental health and well-being? And what are the things, like you said, you've, uh, that you've incorporated so many things for the employees to take benefit from, to take care of their mental well-being? A couple of things that corporate sectors need to do and pay special attention when it comes to mental health and well-being. And also, in our past episodes, we came to know that the employees are not comfortable talking about their mental health with their immediate seniors, like, you know, somebody who had bipolar could not say I have bipolar or somebody who has anxiety and stress could not say, how do we ease the friction? I do believe that the only start from the top. So because naturally, right, for a person, when it's something so stigmatized, a person at the junior level is going to hesitate to talk about it. And especially if she thinks or he thinks that he's going to be, you know, pulled up for it and it's going to cost him his job. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So we at our, at the, actually at the top over here, we have five days that we give off for mental health mm. uh, and no questions asked. Wow. Very often, uh, you know, in fact, I joke with my team, I, I tell them that you all have five days assigned to yourself for, for, as a mental health leave and they normally apply for it and they just, whatever, they would say that I'm not, you know, we're having a difficult time or it's been a difficult week or, yeah. I, or I just need a mental health day. And I say, what about my mental health? <laughs> I think I'm, I, I'm, I'm entitled. <laughs> yes, so, you know, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. I guess you 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so well put in terms of it's always top down and the high achievers, you can be a high achiever and you can also have anxiety levels, something that uh, people at the top must and should understand. Let me talk about Empower Minds Mental Health app, uh, Dr. Nisha. It's 1,25,000 plus therapy sessions, 12 million plus lives touched. What are the sorts of patterns that you could have perhaps noticed uh, about people's mental health, uh, anything that uh, that came to your report, anything that you feel uh, that needs, you or your team feels that needs urgent addressing? So, you know, one very, uh, well, now I think we're used to that. But when, it, when we had first got the statistics, when we first launched the helpline uh, during COVID, hmm. um, we saw that 85% of the callers were male. Wow. Uh, okay. So that was a very high percentage of male callers. Mm-hmm. And we see the trend still continues, mm-hmm. where a larger proportion of callers are male, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite telling in two aspects. One, that obviously men also feel judged. And because it is so stereotypical that, you know, men are not supposed to share their emotions. Yes. And here you have a helpline where they're incognito. So you have much more males than talking about it than females, mm-hmm. right? But the other fact also tells us that uh, questions that is it that females or, wi- or women don't very easily don't pay attention to their mental health and is always put in the back burner because there's always so much, so many other things that, you know, as a woman, you've got to do, especially if you're working. Yes. Uh, that Does it just go on the back burner? So I think it was both, but I think that was quite telling. And of course, the other thing that comes is actually that because we're working with so many different stakeholders, different different communities, different age groups, yeah. um, the challenges or the issues that every group faces are quite different and are quite, you know, sort of specific to that age group. So it's almost trend agnostic, if you know what I mean. There's no one set trend. We're seeing different things coming up with different people and different communities. Um, but yes, what I think the overarching issue that really comes is the stigma that it's still very stigma it is still stigmatized of course we i have to say that we're very proud of the work we've done we've you know obviously got into center stage the conversations yeah uh, but of course there is a lot to be done yeah and stigma being at the you know at the helm of it as a challenge yeah um yeah and we as a team because we're growing now i think the challenge that we face is a good good resources you know uh, I mean, even when you, we've reached out to say all the colleges yeah. for recruitment, we find that uh, the quality of people that come to us as freshers, uh, let's put it that way. I would have, I would have liked to see a better quality of people mm-hmm. coming to us as freshers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that is something mm-hmm. which gap that needs to be filled. Yeah, uh, where we have many more you know, either psychiatry hospitals, um, colleges, counseling colleges, Yeah. you know, where that is seen to be encouraged uh, so that yeah. we have a larger pool of people coming up, a yeah. pool of resources. Yeah, yeah. That's such an important point, Dr. Nija, in terms of the gap to fill when you're trying to recruit people. And perhaps that uh, one of the reasons could be because of the stigma attached, that people do not want to get into the field of mental health space because there, there is a huge stigma attached to it. I've also seen a similar stigma that occurs, uh, that is existent in, uh, because I come from films, in the film space, the OTT does not want to have anything to do with mental health in terms of stories. 
they want to avoid it because it's not entertaining enough according to them the stigma is penetrating at that level you know so how do you reach people and how do you educate them if not through stories if not through getting the right people to work and fill the gap uh we recently did uh, an episode with somebody in jaipur and they said the stigma and understanding even in cities like jaipur which is supposed to be like this thriving city uh that we all go to is uh, deeply deeply ingrained so uh, dr nisha in terms of one penetrating the lowest common denominator what can the system do and uh, what is the kind of speed that needs to be there to penetrate them and the second is that how do we sort of educate people even in these levels in even in the levels of like recruitment even in the levels of storytelling to tell them that you need to pick this up for it to penetrate faster you know yeah yeah so i think you know in fact the first point that you mentioned about <clears throat> stories on ott so we developed actually six stories uh all all six of them it is like an it is an anthology and each story deals with a different set of people a different family the setting is very different age groups are different and each of them dealing with a different kind of a mental illness because i also believe that the best way to communicate and the best way to kind of drive awareness is through stories and what better platform than something like ott which is really seen by so many people unfortunately you hit the nail on the head they're great stories really hard hitting couple of them really sent a chill down my back when you see it you though we are working with it day in and day out when you see it in a story form it really hits you hard but none of the ott platforms are going to take it because because they just think it's not going to sell so i feel that each one also has to have a little responsibility right where is the social responsibility i mean even the ott platform even if you put it in numbers okay so i know that obviously nobody wants to have a dent in their top line right fair enough but there is something that you put for social responsibility and even if it if it means that you to uh, subsidize it or put out something where they may may not get that much of revenue i'm sure they're making revenue everywhere else to cover up for it but then this becomes part of their social responsibility and i feel that if people like that or organizations like that don't leverage on that position to send out a strong message who would right i mean at the end of the day we all do have a social responsibility of giving back and i think if the some of us are blessed with that and we have to you know use it to our advantage to spread the word so i think i was very hopeful that some ott platform would take it up but unfortunately nobody has as yet and uh, i mean i'm we're just waiting for it to see the light of day because it's a great one and i was really excited about it um so i think the best way to do it is to drive dialogue i mean like say at rural at the grassroots level when we work in maharashtra we start we've been working with the rural district hospitals and we first started you know we sent out we've got about uh, about 70 50 fellows who are working in maharashtra they are trained and then they are training other volunteers um, to, with basic gen, general mental health literacy workshops and everybody everybody who comes to the hospital is put through a screening so we do the screening and from that there is you know we're generating awareness about it and that's how we can do it because the only way to do it is to tell people about it to talk to people about it to you know i mean because otherwise how else do we do it and that just has to percolate down all levels mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Coming to infrastructure, Dr. Neja, when you talk about infrastructure in the mental health ecosystem, I can talk about Delhi because I've seen the Delhi infrastructure and we feel that the intervention by the government is not enough. I think government is again top down, you know. So unless the government in, intervenes at a, uh, at a very basic level and shows more participation when it comes to mental health, the systems, the infrastructures, they're not going to get rectified. And again, to approach the government, they already know about it. But again, to pursue them and keep pursuing them and keep hammering it is something that it needs a collaborative effort of people in the mental health system. What are your thoughts, ma'am? Absolutely. So, you know, very often I think, Suchita, what also happens is that even when the person at top gives a directive, yeah, right, yeah. You your entire team should has to be aligned to be able to carry it through. Uh, and we see that very often, like say in Samvedna, now this whole, we took on Maharashtra when Mr. Tope was at the helm. And he was very, very broad-minded and he was very forward-thinking. And when I went to him with the proposal, he immediately gave a go-ahead. Right. So he gave the go ahead, but to actually kickstart it took time because and a couple, multiple visits and a couple of calls from him because people below were not taking it forward. Even after that, we see that different districts, because, you know, there are different people at the helm, take longer to react to situations. So I think it's an entire machinery that has to sort of work in tandem for things to really get executed and implemented. Otherwise, there will always be some gaps. And we see that in our organizations also, right? I mean, I may say, I may give a particular directive or may say that let's do it in this manner, but I need, my team also needs to be aligned, follow through. So, I mean, I think a lot of times things are said, may not get followed through, but yes, having said that, um, I think we want to work with different states as well. And I think if having that support from the government really goes a long way because the network that then your access you have access to is just massive and that really helps scale up because then the impact numbers are on a, at another level yes yes absolutely nobody can move till the top moves you know we'll just keep trying to swim but you know trying to reach and make changes but uh, unless the king says yes the government says yes it's sort of difficult for all of us uh, but i think all of us are trying to create some dent some impact and hopefully it's happening when it comes to initiatives by empower mind uh dr nija tell me about what what is the future that you're looking at in the next couple of years uh what are a couple of things that you feel that you will add or it's already being in the pipeline the processes a bit about that i think in terms of impact we want to move in the same direction in terms of we're already working with you know, age-wise, we're working with different age demographics, with youth being our center of focus. Yeah. But we're also working with the plus 40s. Yeah. Uh, and I'm saying plus 40 because I think now the youth, I think you would consider up to 40 as youth. Yeah. Uh, you know, 40, 45. Mm. <clears throat> so we're working a lot with them. So we're working with different age groups. We're also working with several different communities, mm. right from, you know, the corporates to the NGOs. We're working with schools, colleges, uh, you know, we're working with a lot of, uh, uh, we're working with people who are economically challenged. We're working with a lot of government agencies, uh, be it the police, be it the CISF. So I would continue to grow in that direction. Mm. Um, I do want to actually, uh, you know, also get involved with the hospitals that are existing 
uh, how do we improve their capacity because yeah. that's already existing right yeah so why not and there are, they have some great places uh, so how do how can we as private partners yeah. go in and help the government to uh, you know up their game so yeah you know how do we support that yeah so whether it's capacity building um, improve infrastructure i think at the bottom of it all i think the base, the the vision is to you know make mental health as commonplace really totally alleviate the stigma yeah so that every so that everybody is able to lead a productive life without any discrimination i mean mental health doesn't discriminate so why should the treatment be discriminatory right i mean yeah. right now you know in rural india we heard of so many stories so many times we've heard that firstly to get the person who's suffering from a mental health disorder to the hospital the family member doesn't want to do that yeah and even if they get them to the hospital they kind of disown that person because even after the person is well they don't want to take the person back yeah right yeah so i mean i just feel so bad yeah. because the person who's suffering is already suffering yes right and then you don't have the support of anybody yeah you just feel so alienated so isolated it's just so horrible so you know how can we help the mental health hospitals also to sort of ramp up and you know and as as private yeah. players how can we help that i think that would be my next level of intervention yeah yeah absolutely also in terms of uh, that will be great because even people who are sitting in the front desk like the people who take calls uh, people who you know get the patients in the hospital us they do not understand what is compassion and how to treat people with uh, you know who are coming with any yeah. form of mental health issue i think that basic compassion treating is lacking um but before that com- the compassion views that i want to get from you just quickly in terms of how do we nudge the government how do all the bodies come together to nudge the government even at the basic level of the implementation of the policies that they have done but have actually not got implemented so far uh the various players who are working in the mental health space how how do we come together i think that one needs to show impact right hmm. and i feel that in showing impact in a in a work like mental health is very difficult so hmm. again i come back to actually educating and creating awareness hmm. see when you are constructs something simple as say housing for example right or even say we also work in the space of menstrual health and hygiene which my daughter has started ujas yeah that's very tangible mm-hmm. you know how many workshops you had you know how many pads you've distributed you know how many beneficiaries and you know the impact immediately you know what the impact is it's already impacting them because they probably are not ha- not dropping off from school or yeah. they have better hygiene so it's it's a much shorter impact cycle mm-hmm. something like mental health as you know the impact cycle is only so much longer yes so it's very difficult to to really measure that impact so but again we have to just educate them we have to just keep talking to them you know take them through this journey take them through the trajectory and convince them that yes there is impact but it may take time but definitely there is impact and i think showing impact probably for all humans when you see impact of it you're convinced that acha ye to kaam kar raha hai you know this is working yeah so yeah. you know yeah you know coming back to my early point when we were talking about how to make a difference yeah so in the schools that i run we have a program and we're actually reaching out to other schools also with it mm. it's called the minds matter program it's a minds mm. matter curriculum mm. so just like you have a formal curriculum in a in, a, in an academic subject like mm. math or physics etc mm. we've created a we've created a curriculum for mental health mm. which basically uh, you know instills mental health literacy yeah and also along the way age appropriate gives the children the right mechanisms and coping skills 
to cope with their own mental health issues yeah makes them more empathetic and less judgmental towards others yeah so by the time the child is actually uh, graduating out of high school out of grade 12 he she is already well versed with it you know and we want to create a generation of people who are who are already starting with a non stigmatized frame of mind yes you know yes. so uh, we have it in our schools at the moment there are about 35 other schools who have it again it's a challenge to get it going because of many other issues yeah but i mean that's i, I do believe that you know that's the way forward where you start young um inculcate the right thinking processes the right thoughts inculcate being non judgmental empathy all of that right from the start so yeah. by the time they're out stepping out into the world they're already sort of equipped with all of that yeah yeah and lastly dr nisha in terms of compassion uh, we have never talked about the word comp- word compassion which is such an important word uh, we are talking about mental well being we are othering people who suffer with little amount of mental uh, illnesses we do not understand that the treatment that we do of each other whether in corporate world whether in different systems that we are part of is something that could do with some compassion but compassion is not something that can be taught you know it's something i feel that you are you 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 learn through life you inculcate it your own self how do we build compassion in people and in systems so again i think like you very rightly said you got to you have to again it starts from the leader you have to do things that show the compassion right so like say just for example like at school what we do is that we lay a lot of emphasis on community service it's a mandatory part of the curriculum every all the kids all the children from all the grades right from lower kg have to have come some community service too so we're actually teaching them compassion because we're teaching them there are people who have lesser than them and you need to share what you have and the first thing that you show is your time right that's the best way of showing compassion so i do believe that it can be taught uh, it's not that it can't be taught because ultimately when you're when you're a child you do absorb like a sponge but the same thing can be taught as you grow up also you're also learning through life you live and you learn um you know the corporate space and compassion could be just uh it could just be a gesture it could just be you know just giving some time off and i think more than anything else i think compassion needs to start with ourselves yes i think we need to uh you know and i say that to myself as well because very often i feel that i'm too hard on myself yeah i'm probably you know to somebody else i probably say that it's okay you know it's yeah. fine but yeah. i may not say that to myself actually mm. so i'm also deliberately trying to sort of inculcate it in myself because i feel i i also deserve compassion for my yes. own self yes so i think it starts from yourself and then you're able to sort of you know spread it out as well yes yes absolutely thank you so much dr nija what a pleasure and such great pointers um, absolutely thank you so much for being on the podcast and have a great day ahead Thank you it was wonderful chatting with you Suchita and uh, thanks very much for inviting me Compassion after all can be the bottom line of wellness and well-being that the world urgently needs that the systems need everything spurs from compassion compassion for oneself and others that can lead to not just better treatment of people but also increase in productivity at workplace community building and connectivity and compassion can be the most important soft skill that can be taught and built 